I feel like I'm patient with people. I'm not patient with myself. I don't or know if taxis that's... or elevators. I feel I feel well. I feel patient when it's like there's a human who's there. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like like if I I was a server for so long, so yeah. if there if if some if food is taking long. I know that there can be so many things that actually have nothing to do with people slacking. Um, but there could be a, a nuisance table who's like sending food back left and right. Um, but I know that again, and if a taxi's going slow, you know, like I just had an Uber driver who was giving his like second Uber drive ever. Yeah. <laughs> I'm impatient with myself when I don't do something right. <laughs> and I don't know if that's good, but. That's the truth I wanted to share with you. I worked at Trader Joe's for a while. Mm. My first job ever was at a bagel shop. Oh, really? When I moved out to New York, I was I did a bunch of internships and mm-hmm. was working at uh, Barnes & Noble in New York City, which is oh. a, an extremely stressful job. <laughs> yeah. Was it in Union Square? No, it was. it's actually not there anymore. It was um, it's on like 16th and 5th. Yeah, it, it was the textbook the, one. Yeah, the original one. I went to high school here, so okay. I bought all my textbooks there. Yeah, I worked there because they used to do this big uh, hiring spike yeah. a couple of times a year when the, the quarters would roll around. Right, right, right. So I'd have to work in the back and deal with all the textbooks for all the colleges. You know, I've said, I, I think that in the way that in Israel, you have to do mandatory military service. Yeah, I know exactly where you're going. I totally think there should be a service draft. I can tell the kind of person you are based on how you... I, I feel servers. the same way. Yeah. And it's also like, I can, I know when I'm dealing with someone, when I'm in a service position and I'm dealing with someone who has never been in the service industry. Yeah. And it's such a turnoff. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's that famous thing, always judge a date by how they treat the server. And it's so true. It's like, you, you see a lot from someone in just like, oh, that's a human. Yeah. who's getting your food. You don't know what kind of day they had. You don't know what's going on in their life. And unless they do something wildly disrespectful, you know, or like truly are mean to you, I just think there are so many people, especially in this city, who feel like it is owed to them. You're from here. Mm-hmm. You've lived yeah. here for a long time. I wonder how much of it is due to the fact, like it's maybe the chicken and the egg thing, but it's, it's also, as somebody who comes from California, from the Bay Area, service people are also nicer to you. Hmm. I've noticed this more in New York City than in other places where they'll just, if you're uh, checking out at the supermarket, they'll just carry on conversations. They'll yeah. kind of shout over you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I wonder how much of it is the pink slime flowing underneath New York City right. <laughs> and how much of it is just the fact right. that we, there's just sort of a mutual, you know, mutually agreed upon destruction. I think. That's such a, that's an interesting thing. What I noticed is just because of the restaurants that I was working in, but specifically one that I was at for three years, it was like very celebi, very like rich people went there. And so there was this thing of like, you bend over backwards Mm -hmm. to be nice to them. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter how they treat you. You just like always need to have a smile on your face but the cool new york smile that's like i'm not too happy or earnest but i'll do literally anything you want me to do (laughs) i think sometimes like it feels like that in in new york but i also feel i think you're right i i think there are some people who i i think we all understand that we're people and i wonder if it is that pink slime (laughs) that you're talking about that's running through the conversation that you had with the high school kid the Mm -hmm. 18 year old yeah josh yeah you get bullied in high school we all get bullied in high Mm -hmm. school right (laughs) i do think that's true because i think everyone who i like had a bad time in high school i do automatically distrust people for whom high school was their best years yeah 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 for for obvious reasons but you know the question is how that impacts you there are really kind of two primary ways to react to that right mm-hmm. you either become a little more empathetic for other people or you go in completely opposite direction right. and that was interesting the dynamic between the two of you because you you had had in a sense for different reasons similar experiences in high school yeah. and you came out the other end in very different ways i wonder if that's true because i also i think my guest is literally we recorded this episode when he was two weeks away from graduating. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't want to flatter myself and say that maybe that, that conversation was big for him, 
but I do want to say that he's still in the process of growing. Yeah. And there is a real... He says that it's big for him. He does. Yeah. He yeah, yeah, has yeah. a moment toward the end where he totally. essentially says it's kind of life-changing or at least yeah. thought-changing and, for and him. And I definitely think he, he showed that growth. But I also think like... And what I was going to say is I think there was something... And I feel this in almost all of my guests is something I end up really liking about them. Yeah. I would use the word love, but I don't want to like <laughs> freak anyone out. And if I, <laughs> if I use that word or, or now if that word is planted in your head, listener, wherever you may be, it's the like general sense of love. It's like you're another yeah. human. So I love you just because you're a human. And, um, so I, I'm, I'm misquoting and, and I'm not going to attribute this because I forget where it's from, but there was a study done about hugs and how if you hug someone for a certain amount of time, after a little while, it starts to feel awkward, right? Mm -hmm. You're like, oh my God, we're hugging too much. And then you pass another threshold mm -hmm. where you're like, actually, you're like chemical, yeah. like processes are changing and you're becoming closer with that person. Yeah. I see this podcast as the conversational version of that. It's like, all right, we're going to talk beyond the level of like, right, we're out on the phone at first and then maybe it might like start to feel awkward and mm -hmm. uncomfortable. And then when you push past, past that awkwardness, there's something really cool that lies beyond there. I'm jumping around now, but I once heard Moises Kaufman speak about his interview process for the Laramie Project, you know, the play where he solicited a bunch of interviews from people uh, who were tangentially related to the life and, and death of Matthew Shepard. And he was saying the best interview moments he got was when he asked a question, he let them answer, they stopped answering, and then instead of filling that silence afterwards with a question, yeah. he didn't say anything. And then they said gold, he mm. said. Um, so however you look at it, that's that's how I see this podcast and and. That's what I see the intention of it is to like move past the awkwardness that we're all so obsessed with um, and love to identify, including myself, and see what's beyond there. So the, the episodes, at least the ones that have posted so far, are generally, you know, 30 to 40 minutes. Mm -hmm. Is that close to the length of the conversation? Um, for some of them, it's truly just editing out like the niceties and yeah. the uh, awkwardness <laughs> and the, Hey, okay. Or is, can you adjust your microphone? Yeah. And then for some people it's not um, like for most people, I speak to them for an hour mm -hmm. and I make it super clear to all of my guests that it will be edited yeah. um, just so we hit that right off the bat so that they can clearly ask the follow-up question that I would ask if I were a guest, which is, what do you mean? How are you going to edit it? Sure. And, to suit your narrative. Yeah, exactly. And so I I assure all of them, which is what I do, which is, well, I'm only going to be editing it down to be more to the core of what we talk about. Mm -hmm. um, I think we as humans always speak in these very circular ways. Sure. And when you edit it, as I'm sure you know yeah. from this podcast, there's this very clear um, or and you definitely know as 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 a journalist, but like there's this people speak and the gold is at the beginning and sometimes the gold is at the end and maybe there's something in the middle, but like there's always yeah, this <laughs> it's a moving target. Well, even, even just in what I said right now, sure. even just in what I said right now, you could shorten that down to 20 seconds. This is a problem that I have when I'm speaking is that I have a goal in mind and yes. I have about five or six different yes. ways to hit it. Yes. 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 I feel, I feel the same way. What is it about that length of time? What is it about 40 minutes or an hour? Why is that kind of, why is that the sweet spot? And do you think that it's actually possible to really affect change over the course of one 40-minute long conversation? I mean, certainly at the end when, you know, all the endorphins are rushing through and yeah. everything feels nice, you you feel like you're going to get up and walk mm -hmm. out and your life is going to be changed. <laughs> right. But is it actually possible, you think, over the course of that time to really affect some sort of real impact on someone? I think change is incremental yeah. and change is unsexily slow. You know, it's like it's not this perfect ABC arc of mm -hmm. 
I was mean to you. Let me consider why I was mean. I'm a changed person now, right? I am not under the impression that I'm going to undo decades <laughs> or half a century in, in the case of some of my guests of learning yeah. that they've gone through. I am not going to undo systemic injustice by having a conversation with one person. I'm not going to undo systemic injustice by broadcasting that conversation with one person. But what I do believe is that this podcast is about planting seeds, um, whether it is in my guests or whether it's in the listeners. And I think there are a lot of people that I've been hearing um, from emails who are using this to build up courage to have the conversations that they haven't mm -hmm. had. Because I, th I really believe this. And I'm including myself in this because I, you know, just want to come out. I also identify as a human. So I am... You're I coming felt, out as I'm a human? I'm coming out as a human. Guys, I'm a human. But I feel like we are so... We so shy away from awkwardness. All of us. Me, 100% included. We so shy away from awkwardness that we don't really want to talk about it. And that's like this really uncomfortable thing of like, mm, let's not get political, right? Yeah. That, I hate that phrase so much. I hate that phrase so much. I, I hate it especially in you know a community that I work in, which is the comedy community. What do you like? It is political to choose to not be political. Yeah. yeah. Your decision to do not political jokes, especially in a week like this, mm -hmm. meaning, you know, in, in a post Charlottesville world, it is a political choice. I see it as planting seeds. Yeah. And that's what TV structure has taught us. Either give us the drama or give us the closure. And this podcast is like, what about neither? It's interesting, though, that you bring up television, because if you really think about it, I mean, sitcoms, you know, sure, there's an arc, but it always they, they invariably return to where they start. So there's yeah, really no forward so movement. Interesting. Yeah, you're right. It's always it's like a stasis. Yeah. You can't really implement any sort of fundamental change or else yeah. it changes the nature of the show itself. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Certainly this pertains to the first two episodes. We're kind of talking around this idea of really changing somebody's viewpoint. But in both cases, pretty close to off the bat, they both admit that they've done something that's against character and something that they probably wouldn't have done to you in person, something that, you know, they were in a bad state mm -hmm. at the time. So, And that's actually true for all of my guests, I can yeah, tell you. They, with every single one of them. They all, they'll likely stay true to the core of their message. Yeah. Which is their disagreement. Yeah. But they will all apologize for mm. the way they said it. There are hateful people out there. Yeah. Is it just that they're not the ones who are ready to engage with you? I think so. I mean, you know, I reached out to a lot of people for this show. Yeah. And there are a lot of people who refused. Hmm. And which has a very weird consequence, which is that I have a lot of respect for my guests. Yeah. I have a lot of respect for people who are like, I'm going to write this and I'm going to own up to it. Hmm. Right. Like, is it is it owning up to it, though, if you sort of back away from it that quickly? I think so. Yeah. Well, they're at least coming into the conversation. Yeah. And I mean, owning up to it, meaning like owning up to the fact that they wrote it. Yeah. It's funny. There there was actually someone who runs in similar circles that I traffic in in New York, and he took a strong disliking to me for <laughs> some reason. Um, and he's very, you know. In terms of identity, in terms of line of work, he's very similar to me. Mm. And he really chose to put me on blast. Um, and he wrote this kind of long public Facebook post, meaning public the world could see it, and he tagged me in it. And I, I approached him and I was like, hey, like, I, I'm not mad. What did he call you out for? He told me, he said that I was uh, the same as Tommy Lauren. And that... Um, the right-wing yeah, commentator, yeah. yeah. And he said that I, you know, we didn't deserve uh, attention, uh, you know, something to the effect of like, uh, we, I am just the left's version of Tommy Lauren. One, it's like, I would love to hear that point of view. It was, <laughs> it, meaning, I'm, I mean, that seriously, yeah. like, that would be really interesting for me to hear and also to calibrate my work, right? Like, uh, 
I mean, I would be interested to hear if, like, I am that divisive. Mm. It sounds like you've learned over the course of becoming a public figure that you are divisive, though. Yeah, I think I'm, but but it, but it's interesting to start to see who I'm divisive to. Yeah, right? and why. Like, right. And I can tell you, I know that um, the biggest... The, the biggest negativity I get is when I make a video de denouncing Islamophobia, mm -hmm. 100% I will be attacked for it because I will be uh, told – I mean I'm also ignoring the fact that it's also celebrated, right? There are people who are like, thank you so much yeah. for making these videos. And now I think once I'm done with this podcast, people will think the world just <laughs> hates me, which, you know, you can think that. I feel fortunate to have many, many amazing people in my audience but i'm interested in the detractors and specifically interested in why detractors use such strong language to get across mm -hmm. right um and uh and that's the other thing is like i would i would love a format where i could hear criticism for my work but what if it weren't wrapped up in calling me a faggot yeah what if it weren't wrapped up in saying how i am a cancer of this earth right like what if it's like, I disagree with Dylan's tactics, and here's why. Do you think that the nature of the podcast, and 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 surely you know you you probably have already started seeing this, but the the idea that you are in fact reading things and engaging with things, this is what you know I've been a good feedback that I've received online. I'm sure is nowhere near what what you've gotten, but I've written about technology professionally for 14 years, so I I do get a I think and I appear on camera, know, yeah. and the thing that people have always told me and i think it holds true to some degree is that engaging with people will often change the dynamic not because necessarily there's going to be an exchange of ideas but just the knowledge that you are there reading it that there is a human being who is sifting through those may actually make a difference so now that people know that yeah. you're reading that feedback and actually doing a podcast yeah. about it has that actually impacted the feedback that you've gotten not really no. and i have to say this podcast is a way of me interacting yeah. with the negative feedback. I don't comment back. I don't. The dynamic has changed from the standpoint of you not really commenting back, but people are now aware that you're reading it. I think that a lot of people yeah. automatically assume that they're just sort of tossing something into the void. And I definitely think that's true. I think a lot of my guests had no idea that I was ever going to read yeah. it. And they just wanted to kind of like throw that against me. Um, but I think we all do that in, yeah. in like our lives. Like I was just in LA for a week and the amount of things that people scream in their cars to other cars is so funny to me, mm -hmm. right? It's like you could say the nastiest things to someone. You know that they're not going to hear it. You are screaming to make yourself feel better. It's definitely aimed at them. And I think comment sections and messages are similar. I wonder if there's potentially more release because there's some possibility that totally. you might read it yeah i think there is and it also stays there forever yeah and people can become famous and celebrated in whatever circles they're in for writing epic takedowns or or you know participating in total ownage of someone yeah. and shutting someone down there's been like a cottage industry of internet personalities who respond to their trolls in such biting ways. Um, or, you know, let me put it differently because I actually don't like the term troll, but respond to their detractors in such biting ways that that's then part of their brand. And I don't want that to be part of my brand. I don't want to be like, there are so many people who end up harassing the people who harass them by critiquing their appearance. Mm -hmm. Right. Or, saying this one phrase that i really hate calling them sad lonely people yeah. i so disagree with that because one i have felt sad and lonely <laughs> before you know so like i'm a sad lonely person sometimes and two i don't think it helps to make fun yeah. of the person who's making fun of you i feel like there is potential for conversation there maybe there's a sort of glint of a thought in that idea of sad and lonely though as 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 it relates back to this idea again of of hugging somebody and interacting with somebody i mean i think that's the idea right is that all these these people just need a little more a little more human interaction a little more positivity 
and I mean, but a lot of the people I talk to are people with, you know, social communities yeah. that wrote some very strong words. And sometimes it's that interaction with other people that yeah. helps amplify the negative right, feedback. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, 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 I think, I also think trolling um, is, sprouts from the same seed that dragging sprouts from. You know, dragging this thing that we do on the left, which is like when someone messes up, mm -hmm. it is dragging them. Infighting. Infighting. Yeah. Well, well, but, but, but also dragging meaning like publicly, you know, yeah. quote tweeting them in a quote tweet essay. Right. Yeah. Where you're like, this is why you're the stupidest, you know, yeah. when if you really wanted to identify something that they did wrong, the much more direct way is to be like, hey, just want to let you know, you said this not totally cool thing. Here's why it's not totally cool. I think that's part of the reason why the right has become so much more organized is because their aggression tends to be outwards yes. and we take each other down yes. a peg. I have to say, I... I left, I covered, as a correspondent, I covered the RNC and the DNC mm. in 2016. And I left the RNC sure that Trump was going to win. Mm. And I left the DNC sure that Trump was going to win. Because at the RNC, everyone buried the hatchet and just loved him, right? All of the people who were there to support Kasich, all of the people who were there to support Ted Cruz, like... It was just like this. There, there was a sense of allegiance that was stronger there, and at the DNC, it was mayhem. It was mayhem yeah. because it was a ton of Hillary supporters, but it was also like vocal, vocal, vocal people who came there just to openly hate her. But that allegiance makes it extra scary. You know, the allegiance makes you wonder yeah. how far. Right. They will follow this person. I, I definitely think that, you know, like, I think there's an authoritarian nature yeah. to that. But I I think that, um, I mean, that, that was an interesting strength I saw with, at the RNC, right? Everyone was willing to support him, whereas I am very concerned about the left right now. Mm -hmm. I'm very, very concerned because everyone I talk to has really good points, Right. Um, my friends who actively supported Bernie Sanders, whom I was a supporter of before, you know, she won the primary. And then sure. I just like went over to Hillary. Yeah. I get it. I, I don't get the people who were like, never her. There are people who I know and love who voted for Jill Stein. And then there are people who I know and love who were like, Hillary is actually the best candidate that's ever happened in the history of the world. Not to refight yeah. old battles, but... I understand it from the viewpoint of people being tired of making compromises and feeling like because of the nature of the two-party system that they've had to make compromises. And you do. You naturally do. But that they've had to make compromises in every single election so that perhaps there are one of two way forward. There's the status quo or there's – in baseball, they call it rebuilding. It's an interesting concept as it pertains to politics or really anything else. When you have a bad team, you can either keep having a bad team – or you can sell off all your best players and get a bunch of young players with the understanding that you're going to be bad for a couple of years. Mm. And it's hard because sports are like politics. You know, you want as many people coming out to the game every year. Fewer people are going to come out if you're bad. Yeah. But you're never going to be really good. The Cubs yeah. are, were last year were really good uh -huh. because they were very bad for a long time. Right. So that's the political crossroads that we're at right yeah. now. I think you're right. I think you're right. I mean, I, but I also don't want to fall in line with the authoritarian psychology of saying yeah. like, shut up and, and support Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. If there are people who strongly feel like they can't support her. I also think the left includes many people. Yeah. The, the left includes hardcore centrists, you know, who, you know, we know their profile and and the left also includes, you know, queer folks and people of color who have felt routinely ignored by every candidate ever. That's part of the reason why I think there there's so much agreement or people are able to rally around certain ideas is because 
the right wing tends to be more homogenous for mm-hmm. obvious reasons. Yeah. Everybody's sort of fighting for their own things, and there are there's a lot of arguments had about the prioritization mm-hmm. of different fights, yeah. and that's where things get caught up. Is yeah. is the idea that you know let's put something on the back burner and fight this battle for a yeah. little while? Yeah, and I think there's a there is a lot that the left is juggling, and. I am very interested and I am closely following what it looks like will be happening for the next election cycle. There's been the notion that you can't really put the toothpaste back in the tube, right? That the damage Mm. that the siloing and the echo chambers that the Internet has really allowed us to create Mm. is not going to be able to be undone. But do you feel, having had these conversations, that maybe there's a potential way forward, that maybe there's a way in which we can actually harness technology to have healthy conversations? I absolutely do. I mean, that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to do with this show. But it's like a grain of sand at the time, right? Totally. (laughs) I mean, I'm I'm 100% a grain of sand. Yeah. And I really don't want to flatter myself and suggest like, and I'm radically changing how we talk to each other. But you have to start with a grain of sand. Mm -hmm. And there are so many things that I've not done because I've thought, like, well, what can I do? I'm just, like, one person. Um, but the the cool thing is, like, you know, there are people listening to this show now, which we, a bigger audience than, than we kind of ever expected. And even that big audience, quote-unquote quote big yeah. audience, is still a grain of sand in the larger sphere of the world. But I I do feel that we can carve out space for conversation. I feel that we can carve out space to have dialogue, right? The internet, and I and I bristle also when people uh, get down on the internet for dividing us. Yeah, you know, and you're like, no, the internet is humans. Mm-hmm. It's like an algorithm of humans, and humans create their own algorithms long before computers existed. But certainly, it's given us tools. It's with given which us tools. To silo ourselves. It's, it definitely has given us tools. And in giving us those tools, I think it has also given us tools to connect. I'm talking to my guests on this show are are people that I never would have ever crossed paths with before Mm -hmm. that I might never meet in real life. And we had meaningful conversations with each other. That's really cool. The Internet has introduced me to ideas and thinkers and writers that would have otherwise never gotten book deals that I wouldn't have picked up their book. I'm thankful for the Internet because for years... Um, you know, the gatekeepers of the entertainment industry would tell me how talented I was, but how unlikely it was that I was going to get work because they didn't think that I would find an audience. The implication there is, is, is a little nefarious in terms of the ingrained racism and homophobia and, and femophobia of having, you know, an effeminate queer brown man be like, well, what is that? You know, like, <laughs> I don't know where that fits. We'll figure out where to put you yeah, as soon oh as we figure God. out what you are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's like, they're like, oh, no, but we love gay people. Look at Will and Grace. And you're like, well, yeah. what if I don't identify with Will or Jack? You know, yeah. like, what if I'm not, you know, them? And let's be honest. There's no Jack on that show without Will. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, there isn't. There isn't. But I just mean, like, the Internet has done some amazing things. Yes. Yeah. Right now, I mean, this conversation we're having is being broadcast through the internet, and and you can have like communities of people for whom this this podcast that we're on right now means a lot to. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Media has expanded, and me and people can find more of their reflections in people. It's the double edged sword, though, of being able to find content that is explicitly tailored to you. But it's really easy to just fill your time with that content. You know, I'm trying to I've been trying to make a point to, like, watch Fox News a little bit. more. Yeah, I, I have to. Obviously, in, you know, relatively small doses. I, I was having this conversation with somebody the other day where I don't know if I've unfriended anyone on Facebook. High school friends. I mean, I went to school in Santa Cruz, so you're not going to run into <laughs> right, opposing right. viewpoints there. But, um, you know, uh, there are people who I've had to to mute. For, for you know my own my own health for my own my own blood pressure you know I, yeah. I don't you can't you can't scream you can't fight with a brick wall right and it's not good to have that really you know pumped into your feed consistently so so where's the line where's the line between having a healthy conversation 
and blocking those people out entirely. Hmm. Um, because surely, even though you know you've you've made a point to be more proactive about this, and you, and again, like I said, you you seem to be a patient person, so that's helpful. But you you can't expose yourself to it all the time. I mean, I think I'm feeling that now. I yeah. feel, I feel a kind of exhaustion that I've never You're felt in out. my life. Yeah. yeah, and I I I definitely know that I need to keep going. So, um, I think I think you have to take care of yourself, right? Um, I'm going to use a very SJW term right now, but I, I think self-care is important. And it's funny because self-care is something I always like kind of, it rubbed me the wrong way when people are like, are are you practicing self-care for this show? And I was like, I don't need self-care. This is going to, you know, it's masturbatory. (laughs) Self-care. Right. (laughs) Having conversations with people and that is my self-care. And then I just realized like, you know, I... I have such anxiety about this show and it's a lot of energy to speak to people who have sent you messages like these. And yes, they all turn out to be really cool people, Mm -hmm. but you know, in the spirit of transparency, I also just want to reveal that I get incredibly anxious making sure that their views are represented correctly and my views are represented correctly and they feel respected and I feel like I'm respected and I feel like we're doing something something ethical and moral. And every episode I painstakingly make sure, like, is this ethical to broadcast yeah. out? Am I giving a platform to hate? And I don't think I'm giving a platform to hate. I'm giving a platform to show what it looks like when people disagree with each other. I'm not interviewing white nationalists. Mm-hmm. I'm not interviewing neo-Nazis. I am interviewing people I vetted to be safe. When they talk about Trump's support, they talk about the floor, right? They, and, and right now it seems to be at about 33% of people who who don't who don't want to have a conversation with you. That's something that you have to accept, that there are some people whose minds you're not going to be able to change. Yeah, I think I think you're right. So the interesting thing that I'm actually seeing this week is there are the people who are like, yeah, clearly I hate neo-Nazis, but Mm. let's be real. Black Lives Matter is a hate group. Yeah. False equivalencies. Right. Sitting talking to them. Yeah. Right. Like I because I truly want to be like, what? led you to believe that a group of people who are say, literally saying stop killing us you know stop killing us with government sa- sanctioned systemic brutality um that they think that, that is a hate group and, and i mean this because like we need to understand mm. why people think that way we need to understand why people think that a group that is literally saying a group of people's lives matter is an imposition to other people. I want to ask those questions. I want to, for the end goal, for the ultimate goal of bringing us closer together. And that doesn't mean making concessions on the side of people who say that black lives matter. It's like, no, that is a crucial phrase that that we need. I'm a firm supporter of that. And me taking part in this podcast or me taking part in these conversations is by no means me softening on my support of black lives matter, on my position as an advocate for LGBTQ people, someone who firmly pushes against Islamophobia. But I, I want to ask the people who disagree with those movements with as much love as is appropriate. Mm -hmm. Why do you feel that way? I'm a straight white dude. Mm -hmm. My parents were pretty Mm left-leaning, which was helpful, but there's something that you have to push past, an understanding uh, that you kind of have to sort of wait and listen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That, that, That you have to understand that that people's the fights that people are having are mm. going to be immediately apparent to you mm. that you have to have those conversations that that I'm not going to as as empathetic as I think I I might be you know innately that I'm not going to understand the plight of a, a yeah. trans person yeah the question is is can you turn that on its head can you take the empathy that you've had for uh, for oppressed people, for for minorities, and is there a way to apply that to people on the other side? I am trying to see if that's possible. 
and I call it like radical empathy, right? <laughs> like <laughs> trying to be like, can I find empathy in my heart for someone who thinks I'm an abomination? Yeah. I mean, these tactics have been celebrated. These tactics have been brutally criticized. This like leading with love kind of thing. Mm -hmm. This like this nonviolent form of conversation. I'm not the first person in the world <laughs> to well, try you also, this. And, and you said this, and, and I know you were joking when you said it, but I think that the irony inherent in it, and it comes from a real place, that you you jokingly used social justice warrior disparagingly. What do those words mean taken together? You know, right. I was fortunate enough to have uh, John Lewis on the show. Mm, wow. Who, he's a social justice yeah. warrior, right? I think the term has taken on a new meaning. Yeah. Meaning. And I say it, if I'm saying it disparagingly at all, it's meant to be disparaging against myself, too. And it's obviously a little ironic. Yeah, it's it's ironic. And I do think what unifies my guests is that they are against the idea of social justice mm -hmm. warriors. Unless I'm looking forward to having a social justice warrior on my show who thinks I'm doing something disgusting, <laughs> you know, and revolting. And I want to hear from them, mm -hmm. too. I think... The social justice warrior term, what it has taken on to mean is a kind of a, a performative calling out, a performative mm -hmm. show of fighting for justice. And I definitely think that I was doing that or I have done that in yeah. some of my work kind of like. Uh, but but what I question with all of that work is like, who am I speaking to? Right. Like, am I speaking to people who already know these concepts, meaning like concepts like white feminism? And this plays again back into that idea of us of us creating our own echo chambers, yes. because I would guess that the majority of people who not only know who you are, but are subscribing to mm -hmm. what you do in the literal sense yeah. to your YouTube page and to your podcast are already pretty much on board. Yeah, I think they are. And I also want to be clear that. I'm almost neutral on the term of social justice warrior. Mm -hmm. It's really how the person themselves identify. I mean, if a social justice warrior, if being a social justice warrior means that I relentlessly fight for social justice, then count me in. Is that a term that can be taken back? I think it can be. I mean, it's, it's, it's so funny to me that a phrase that is so benign benign and also like noble yeah, yeah. is yeah i guess benign is, is not the word so I maligned very, huh? yeah oh. um and i think this show is is fair game to put me in sjw yeah. territory um and yet i i'm interested to hear why my guests hate sjw so much i think my icons throughout history wouldn't you say Gandhi is a social justice I, I would warrior? Say so. yeah. yeah. I don't know if there's like a performative element of it that, that people disagree with or or it's it's a tactic that people are talking about, but I think it is a term that is is has such a negative connotation now and I think the problem is more that it has a negative connotation. Yeah. You know? You touched on this earlier and, and I, I think it's an interesting point, but the idea of not shying away from certain political flashpoints when it comes to comedy or any other form of art mm. that's particularly interesting conversation to be having this week mm. um you know certainly when when something when something of that magnitude happens there's a certain amount of um internal processing that we have to do there are conversations that we have to have but before you're able to tackle that in whatever medium you use um you need to have process it to some degree, I, I suspect. I mean, I, uh, again, I, I mostly write about technology. Um, I was, uh, I was at the gym on Saturday and I was watching all of that happen. I was like, I was like pretty close to crying on a treadmill yeah. while it was happening. And, you know, the immediate thing that pops into my head is, is there something that I can do in, in what I do in my job where I can address this or, or, or put my stamp on it, you know? And, mm. um, and I was able to do that. And I, I, I wrote some stories that, that I was happy with, but how do you 
when you decide you're going to take on something that's not only such a hot button topic, but something that's that current, um, what, what's what's the process that you go through, and and how do you decide that you're necessarily equipped to do it? I mean, you know, how are you from your background equipped to talk about Black Lives Matter? Whenever it comes up with guests on the show, and that's what you mean, right? How am I equipped to talk about well, it on just the generally, show? Generally, or or when you you come back to this quite a bit because this is the uh, the impetus for some of the hate mail that you're getting mm-hmm. or the uh, the unboxing videos that you did. Right, right, right. So if you're talking about uh, police brutality, for yeah. for instance, you know how how do you feel that you're able to 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 discuss that and almost from from an authoritative yeah. point of view? Um. Well, I think the thing about the unboxing videos was that it was a way to kind of present the facts in a satirical and different way. And then there's a question of of facts. Uh, Yeah, right, right. It is to present a liberal view of of police brutality in a specific way. I think, yeah... What I say and what I say in the podcast when Black Lives Matter comes up is is I kind of always stop us and I say, well, I'm not black and you are not black. So I don't know that we're best suited to be talking about this, but that's a very interesting thing that we should talk about, which is that we should leave this discussion to Black Lives Mm -hmm. Matter to people who are black. (laughs) Right. Not necessarily the discussion, because if something like Charlottesville happens, that's something that you should tackle. Right. And, I and think, the question is how you tackle yeah. it. Yeah. Um, I think it is, if it is about a community of which I am not a part of, but I'm an ally of, mm-hmm. or a community I hope to be an ally of, I think it's about always directing people to voices on that side who are doing the work. It's It's the same psychology of quoting someone yeah. who's the foremost expert on something is they can say it much better than I can. They've lived it. They have this lived experience. Listen to them. Mm-hmm. What I can do now with my platform is I can direct people to people. You know, I can say like, this is someone worth listening to. This yeah. is someone worth your time. They can break down why they're part of Black Lives Matter better than I can. I think it's about directing people to people. I think it's about also acknowledging what we don't know. What 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 are the gaps in our lived experience and how can we, I guess, continue to listen more? But there is a sense when something like that happens that since you do have a platform that there's something that you, yeah, that you can't be silent. You can't be silent. I mean, what, what the, what I did with, with my platform is that I, we delayed our third episode mm-hmm. or we pushed our third episode for the podcast back a week um, and encouraged people to have those difficult conversations, right? Basically, I said, conversations with people who hate me is about having difficult conversations. It doesn't feel appropriate to do an episode this week of me having a difficult conversation. Why don't you have a difficult conversation of your own? Hmm. Your racist uncle is much more likely to listen to his niece or nephew mm-hmm. than he is to some video that breaks down why Black Lives Matter is not a hate group. Yeah, And so I think it is our job to realize that we have a profound impact on the people around us. We have a profound impact on the people who will listen. You know, you referenced before you're a straight white guy in a kind of like, what can you do? What role yeah. can you have? I I think your role is huge, especially now, right? It's, it's that you can get into rooms that other people mm-hmm. can't. Um, and I mean that with uh, people who are like, hey, he looks like me. Hey, I think like that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, it would also be really interesting, and this is by no means an assignment, but you <laughs> I'm getting homework on my yeah, own. Yeah, you're getting <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But if you do cover something like like tech, and, yeah. and it was cool to hear that you know you were able to channel this feeling into articles. It's like race and politics are part of they're pervasive everything as is tech right but completely like um being a tech reporter being a journalist who covers tech means you are inherently dealing with every issue there is some really cool work going on right now on the reporting of like 
what are body cameras doing? You know, like that's, that's exactly the story that I wrote on Sunday, and that's fascinating, and that's something yeah. that I have no expertise in. The pushback that I do get, since we're making this about me, yes. anyway, the pushback that I do get is the idea that I go to certain places to have an escape from these things, mm. and this is what we were talking about before with the with Facebook feeds. Mm-hmm. That there are some there there are some points when you just want your Facebook feed to be you know puppy dogs. Yeah, and I get that. Are there avenues that we should have that should be non-political? This is relates perfectly to this conversation you had with this eighteen-year-old, mm-hmm. wherein I can almost like hear you cringing as mm-hmm. he said this. Uh, he said, "Well, why can't we just have a conversation where we hide everything about us? Mm. You know, maybe we could relate to each other more or on some deeper level if we could just hide the things about us that make us different." And obviously, yeah. there are things that you can't hide. Right. That seems to be a pretty pervasive conversation on that side of things is wouldn't things just be easier if we didn't have to deal with these things? Wouldn't things be easier if we didn't have to know that you were trans, for example? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I I very much disagree with that. And it's that kind of thing where when I was coming out to people when I was younger, I hated the reaction of like, okay, I don't care. Yeah. And you're like, hmm, but you saying that means like you do, <laughs> you know, huh. like, like I know that you're saying that in the most loving way, yeah. but like, this is also something that has been a burden for me for so long. And it's something that I've worked hard to hide, even though I've always been me. So I couldn't hide it, but like, it's saying like, you don't care. You love all people is turning a blind eye to how not everyone feels that way. And the truth is, it's like, it's very similar to the all, all lives matter thing. It's like, that would be a great world. I want to live in that world where all lives matter. Yeah. I I very much want to live in that world where people all get together and in unison, the entire population of the world chants all lives matter, you know, like that's awesome. It's like co- that Coke commercial. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the Pepsi. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh. There's a Pepsi one, the, yeah. the, the new one, but there's the, uh, the 80s, the classic, I want to buy the world a Coke where they're all. Yes. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. I guess I get, maybe the answer is soda. The answer is soda. Well, well, um, Kendall Jenner taught yeah. us that that yeah. ends protests yeah, peacefully and, and well for her. Yeah. It, well, <laughs> God bless. But, um, I think that. I want to live in that world yeah. where we don't have to talk about our identities, but our identities are so crucial to what divides us. It's really interesting that you say that, that idea of somebody responding to you with you that, that, that they, that they don't care. And they're not saying that they don't care. Mm-mm. They're saying that, that they're you, saying we're cool. Yeah. We're cool. We're sim- simpatico. Yeah. But this is a very good argument in favor of having people from different walks of life because the thing that again as a straight white guy i found very helpful is if i have a friend who's trans i can be like hey look can we talk about like what yeah what conversations i can have and what what are okay you know somebody and i'm glad that i had this conversation of um i talked to a trans person and asked what their name was before and and they told me that that's not a good question to ask i had no idea it seems completely benign to me yeah but if you have people who are close to you you can have those conversations yeah and and i think so you're you're hitting on something and i'm jumping ahead right now to to like the to what is an outcome of that which is that then sometimes when you are the recipient of that knowledge, right? When, when your mm-hmm. trans friend explains to you like, Hey, it's actually like not totally cool yeah. to do this. Sometimes for all of us or for some of us, there is this inclination, like now, you know, better. And then if someone else makes that mistake, you're going to, you hypothetically would come out and be like, uh, you can't say that, <laughs> you know, like, and then yeah. that's where the birth of this whole notion yeah. of the smug liberal comes yeah. from. And I've been accused of that many times. Yeah. I'm considering that in myself. Yeah. Like, what is off putting? You probably about that? have caught yourself doing. Totally. feel like empowered. Oh by my God. I, I totally do. Yeah. I feel mighty for knowing this thing that is progressive. And that's what uh, the older gentleman said to you. It was a real hard to change. It was an adorable conversation that the two of you had where he was like, LGBT, I don't know what all the things are. Yeah. You sort of went through them and explained it it, it to him. And 
and he said, well, you know, it's it's hard to keep up. Maybe that's the difference. Maybe the difference is if somebody to, to not villainize somebody because they they haven't. Yes, that's that is what I'm learning more and more yeah. with this podcast. I don't want to villainize people who are well-meaning yeah. but have never had the opportunity to have that conversation. And I think that villainizing those people is what pushes more people away from these truly socially progressive mm -hmm. things. My end goal is for people to be keenly aware of social justice. And I'm talking about like the end goal of which I am a speck of sand <laughs> in a beach. I don't mean like my end goal is like by the end of my life, I want to single-handedly make sure. Ten podcasts and we are going to change this thing. podcasts and yeah. suddenly everyone's going to yeah. be like, you're right, Black Lives Matter yeah. is not a hate group and I support them. <laughs> and I know all the letters in this yeah, acronym. Yeah, all the letters in the acronym <laughs> and I know how to speak to trans people yeah. and Islamophobia is bad and Islam is 1.6 billion people and we can't paint it with a you know big brush. That's not going to happen. But I do feel that that kind of radical empathy is very helpful for well-meaning people. Yeah. Martin Luther King has that favorite, famous quote about the danger of the white moderate, right? The mm -hmm. person who's like, I hate racism. Yeah. But, you know, like, I'm, I'm not going to, it's not my position to do anything about it. Like, I, I, I understand that there are many people who are moderate, who by no means hate gay people, just don't know a gay mm -hmm. person, but then feel, do feel attacked whenever they ask a question. Yeah. I am down. I don't speak for everyone. I speak only for myself, but um, I am down to answer those questions for those people. And I don't think that makes me better or worse than anyone. I think there are people who are completely exhausted answering questions mm -hmm. for people. Yeah. And I totally get it. Yeah. I'm saying that for some strange reason i have the energy right now that is a thing that you risk is is people feeling like they have to be the spokesperson that yeah. they have to have the same conversation over and over again yeah. and i understand why that gets frustrating i'm really curious because you do a good job of editing the show mm -hmm. and you do your intro this is this is coming from somebody who thinks about <laughs> podcasting formula you do your intro and then you hear the skype sound you you go right in the conversation mm -hmm. but there's a period of 10 to 20 minutes perhaps longer before that and i want to know exactly what is going through your head mm. before you dial that skype so it's actually very interesting what you hear from me reading their message to calling them yeah. and them answering that's real time okay but what we have to deal with is getting them on the phone, adjusting their microphone. So there's the minutia, but I just really want to know, mm. like, when I have to go out on stage, I have a ritual. Mm -hmm. I have to psych myself up. You know, I'm, I, once I'm out there, I'm comfortable. It's great. But especially yeah. given what you know about this person based solely on, you know, some nasty comments and maybe a little bit of internet research you've done. Yeah. How do you psych yourself up? I'm nervous. Yeah. I'm nervous and I want to use that nervousness. How do I psych myself up? It's like I really just also because I'm like also playing the role of the host, right, is that I want to make sure that I'm listening to everything they're saying yeah. so that I can I can go back and pick up on things they said before, not to catch them, but just to be like, that's a really interesting thing. This is something yeah. that I'm trying to work on, not only doing the show, but just in life of and I think this is a problem that we get into. Maybe this speaks to something a lot larger. Maybe this speaks to everything we've <laughs> yeah, been talking yeah. about. The way that we have conversations is we wait for our opening. Yes. And I think this, this also speaks to something you said before, but in order to avoid awkward silences, we have to think of what our next question is going to be. We, we, we have to think about what we're going to say before that person, that person is finished. So I, I suspect that doing this, you're, you're probably getting a little bit better at just flat out listening to people. I think I am. And I think we could all benefit from listening. Yeah. And I also experience conversations like that. I experience conversations where I'm like opening, opening. Yes. Yeah. Here's my chance. Um, but I think the, and and it's really possible, especially when you're, you're exposing yourself to a stranger, which I'm is also true of my guests to me, mm -hmm. right? Like you can listen more to people because you don't know where they're going with it, yeah. right? You're like, what are you gonna say? Like, do you find that they think they know you? 
I think all of them are surprised that I'm doing this podcast. But they think, but they've seen you on the internet, so they think that they know who you are, and they think that they know who they're dealing with. I think so. I mean, again, a lot of these messages came directly about my unboxing videos. Yeah. So if some, if a guest has dug into other things I've done, sometimes they're like, I actually like your other stuff, but like this thing that people know you for is, you know, is something I really disagreed with, or... What a weird thing that somebody would say, I like your other stuff, but yeah. I'm going to leave a hate comment on this one thing. Right. I, it's I a think weird that's impulse interesting. to me. It is interesting. But but also the nature of the internet is that people don't necessarily want to know the rest of the body of your work. Yeah. They're like, this is what I see on my feed. This is what I see being shared around. I'm going to judge this. Um, to be... Um, maybe I'm you know to 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 be a creator on the internet is to understand that some people won't engage with your body of work mm-hmm. to be a creator on the internet doesn't mean that you have um you're sharing your work like it would be in an art gallery yeah. where people get to see your retrospective of 50 years of your finest pieces sometimes they only know you for that one video that they that keeps being shared around or even a television show, right? Television mm-hmm. shows build up audiences of people. And um, it, it's interesting. I mean, it, it seems like this started off as, as an experiment. Obviously, it seems to be going pretty well. Um, it, it, is there is there an end game? You know, is this is the idea to just sort of do this forever because you feel like you might potentially be having a, a positive impact? I mean, the the main goal is to grow this concept out to be beyond just me yeah um for i think for the future i want to have guests um meaning i want to talk with guests who are confronting people who have sent them messages um i try to do that microcosmically in each episode i try to make sure that um you know the we're talking about issues beyond just me and them, right? It's like, okay, let's talk about where you got this idea that being gay is a sin. Yeah. Boom. Now we're talking about something that is immediately relatable to a lot of people, yeah. right? Or unrelatable or relatable to their lives. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I don't think I can keep doing it where we're talking to people who have sent me hateful messages. I think that would be very exhausting and, in the most backwards way, weirdly narcissistic. Oh, right? I think completely narcissist, narcissistic. I, I worry about that with, with yeah. the concept as it stands, which is like, oh my God, like 10 people, <laughs> we're, we're going to talk to 10 people who have sent me and then we're just talking about yeah. me, you know? But this is a larger project. It's a, it's a larger project. Yeah. This is the seed of a larger project. It's starting with me because I didn't mm-hmm. want to force anyone else into yeah. this. But... Um, Especially now that we we are finding our audience and our audience is growing, um, I want to use this as a platform to keep promoting conversation. There you go. That was Dylan Marin. You probably gathered pretty quickly into that conversation that it was recorded a few days after Charlottesville. He had actually just skipped the third week of the show in honor of those events. So very fresh in our minds. I mean, I suppose in a sense the conversation is a little bit dated it was recorded a few months ago i've got a backlog of a lot of these episodes but uh, unfortunately i think all of the topics that we discussed during that conversation are, are still pretty fresh in our mind it seems like a lot of these issues are cyclical these days we, we keep coming back to them with these events that are happening on basically a weekly basis and for that reason i think what he's doing is very fascinating and and uh, pretty important as well through his show conversations with people who hate me that's through the Night Vale Network. Fascinating and at times very difficult to listen to. But as I said at the top of our interview, Dylan seems to be an incredibly patient person who's <laughs> willing to, to speak to people with very different viewpoints. And people who, as you know, as the title indicates, hate him in spite of the fact of, that they've never actually met him. Uh, and he's able to get some really good and productive things out of those conversations. So the show actually just wrapped up a couple of weeks ago so there are nine episodes of it up right now 
but it sounds like he's going to continue to do it in some form or another. Highly recommend that. Also, of course, recommend his uh, more regular show, Welcome to Night Vale, on which he voices Carlos. Thank you so much to Dylan for taking the time to do that. Thanks to Meryl for helping set that up. Thanks to you guys, as always, for listening to the program. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Like us on Facebook. And if you've got any feedback, it's R-I-Y-L-Cast at gmail.com follow us on tumblr that's rylcast.tumblr.com is the first and best place to get all your r-i-y-l related information and uh, i think that's about all i got for this week i have so many episodes lined up i'm very excited to bring them to you so stick around because we will be back just about this time next week with another episode of r-i-y-l 